Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Gavin Pack and Lucas Garcia of First Read Chicago. How are y'all doing today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm really excited to be here. Likewise, I'm also excited. Yeah, we we got off to a weird start. I know, so I know that I said before we <laughs> before we started that I'm talking too much about this, but I'm going to talk about it again. About the courtyard. About the, so typically, to draw back the curtain a little bit, when people come to the apartment for these interviews, they come in through like a lovely front path where there's flowers and it's very nice. And you walk into a a lobby with like black and white checkers and you go down a a small set of stairs and there's like a cute little thing on our front door and like a lobster doormat. And then you walk in and you're greeted. That was not the experience we had today because our courtyard, it's very nice. I wasn't mad before. (laughs) (laughs) But I am now. (laughs) But so it was a very different experience. And we've like cultivated that experience intensely because we've been doing Mm. this for two years and we want it to be very nice and comfortable. This time, um, our courtyard is under (laughs) construction. And so we had to take them through our terrible back patio, which is a, we literally call it. Back patio is really gracious. <laughs> it's, like a, it's a, it's a murder palace. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, but um, so weird vibes today. <laughs> well, I'm sure this is literally what we were talking about before we started recording. Is that I'm a hundred percent sure that we just have three years of baggage with that patio, <laughs> and it's not as bad to to an outsider's perspective. Although I really don't know. If I may, um, I have this thing where every time I go to O'Hare, I go to the Manchu Walk, um, uh-huh. which for the uninitiated is the knockoff Panda Express <laughs> that cool. they have at airports and New Jersey bus stops. Okay. Uh, like exclusively. Oh, wow. And what a, what a contract. My, my, <laughs> my reason for doing this is because if I eat Manchu Walk before my flight, it cannot possibly get worse than that. Yeah. So if I enter through the murder patio yeah it's it's just all up here yeah exactly here. no well yeah. and i will say it makes our apartment look great mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it does that it definitely does there was a like, cat when i entered oh so that's yeah great. you walk in and and it's like you know warmly decorated and there's cats and you know anyway anyway <laughs> so Thank you so much for being patient with our with our building, I guess, deciding to do stuff to our courtyard. Otherwise, um, yeah, we're really excited to have you here. So we got introduced to you both from Denise Serna, who we've had on the podcast in the past. Who is a just a powerhouse yeah. of yeah. smarts and... Also a Sagittarius. Good. Important. <laughs> um, but we uh, we have you to talk about First Read Chicago. So for our audience, would you mind explaining what that is? Sure. Uh, so First Read Chicago is a new play festival centering on trans and non-binary playwrights, um, hosted, uh, put on, produced by uh, The Syndicate, um, which is a... From what I understand, Ellie, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Ellie's not here. Um, but <laughs> um, the syndicate is sort of like a, a nationwide like collective of artists who are producing things, uh, I think, majority in New York, um, but they also have a footprint here in Chicago mm-hmm. um, with our producers, Hal Constantino and Ellie uh, Riley. Ellie Condit Riley, I think. Cool. Yeah. Sorry, um, Ellie. Yeah, I think they're. I was led to understand that they're. They mostly do their work in New York, and this is their first Chicago uh, reading oh, festival. Oh, very they're, cool. Yeah, the first of the first read series was in New York, and this is their second year, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Nice. 
Eric? Uh, sorry, if I may. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> there's, so there's it's Gavin and I, um, and also two other folks who aren't here. Uh, June Thiel, who's, um, and uh, Theo Germain. Those are the other cool. two playwrights. There's four of us, and it's amazing. There's four of us. Yes, <laughs> oh we are gosh. four strong. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, how has, like, does it span multiple days, or is it going to be like, is it like one off? Like, how is it structured? loosely yeah um so i believe most of the programming is happening between june 10th and 16th um we will of course have the four plays that are being read um lucas's is going to be on the 12th mm-hmm. i just learned <laughs> um, and mine will be on the 15th my birthday mm-hmm. it is gemini season oh, my, wow. my fellow nice. podcasters cool. um <laughs> and uh th- throughout the of course there'll also be theo's plays theo's play and june's play and also a few other workshops centering around how we can be more inclusive, intentionally inclusive for the trans community um, mm-hmm. in this this little pocket of theater we do in mm-hmm. Chicago. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And how did y'all get involved with this festival? Uh, so First Read put out a call, um, mostly on the internet, but I did have uh, one or two folks in my life sort of approach me about it. Um, it was, they put out a call for uh, playwrights who had a script that hadn't been read before or needed a, needed an, another First Read um, and said, hey, bring them our way. This is specifically for trans and gender nonconforming non-binary folks. And that's all. No one else. <laughs> That's all. Awesome. That was very cool. Do you all have experience, uh, a lot of experience as playwrights with like reading series and reading workshop spaces kind of things? Um, so this will be my first, like, this is the first, my first feature length play, cool. I guess is the way to put it. Um, I've had a short play that, you know, I put on for my BA uh, while I was in school and then um, that short play had a little bit of a life afterwards going to a few other readings but i feel like this is sort of my introduction into like a a, a, a more developmental kind of mm-hmm. approach um you know chicago is incredible because of how it fosters new works uh for uh blossoming playwrights um i wrote this play while participating in um the new colonies writers room and with them, I was able to like hold myself accountable and actually meet the deadlines of writing out this play. And then I submitted it here to the syndicate. And um, yeah, they've really been helping like kind of push it along and make sure that we're going in the right direction here. It's really wild what having a deadline will do for you. Oh my God. Like I remember, so Daniel and I are, both of our background is in opera and we both went to, yeah, we're both opera singers. And we went to, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like people who listen to every episode, like, they're like, like, yeah, we know you're opera singers, (laughs) shut up. You don't even sing anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's womp womp. But um, what's interesting, something that a teacher said to me when I was in school was, was like you should take advantage of the time you have now hmm. because you will never again have a more structured setting where you're given the opportunity mm. to yes. learn stuff and really like set goals for yourself because once you get out there life is going to get in the way and mm-hmm. i was like yeah whatever <laughs> i'm 22 i'm invincible but then like of course she was right yeah i've been out of school for like 
two years and that's literally what i tell every single person in school like you're allowed to fail right now once you're out there the failure reflects on your career Mm -hmm. like but right now you're good that sounds so depressing (laughs) you can still fail like i mean of course you can still fail but i mean like it's not as insulated Mm -hmm. it's like yeah it has real world consequences and yeah well i want to touch more on this but lucas is this also how what what where how have you had experience with readings before sure so i'm a i'm also a dramaturg um very and cool so i am also often on the other side Shout of the table dramaturgy bam they're smarter than us actors oh, wow. I, don't know. <laughs> I didn't say that <laughs> um so as i'm often on the other side of the table working as a as a dramaturg on new work or um reading scripts for uh companies in chicago um as a playwright, I, I write with a group of people um, in El Semiero, which is a playwriting circle um, uh, for Latinx writers. Um, and so I, I've worked with them and they have sort of like a public reading series. It's like zero budget. Um, mm-hmm. And we basically just put ourselves in a room um, and invite folks and read plays that we write together. Um, so this is my first like funded. But that um, sounds beautiful. It's though. beautiful. I love yeah. it so much, right? I'm not knocking it. Um, but this is my first like paid, like third party, like people that I don't know mm-hmm. reading as a playwright. Cool. How has this experience been different for you in that regard? Uh, well, it's the collaboration isn't built in. Um, so with the Semiero folks, um, right. I know them very well. I write with them and I often I work with them. Lots of them are in Alta, which is the Alliance of Latinx Theater Artists. And so we organize together. Um, and there, there are many of them are my friends, my dear friends, all of them. I don't know why I said many of them. <laughs> all of them are my Except dear friends. Except for Steve. <laughs> so, and, but building a collaboration with the syndicate, it's, you know, it's building a new relationship and figuring out figuring out how what I want to do lines up with what they're trying to do and mm-hmm. like you know sending emails is hard, emails yeah. is hard. oh my god if i can bounce off that it's sure. also it'll it's also validation you know um that 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 word like gives me the heebie-jeebies because we use it very often nowadays mm-hmm. but but professional validation and affirmation um is you know something that i feel um, the trans community or queer artists in general, or especially queer people of color, um, are, are seriously lacking. Um, I, I'm, I speak for myself when I say this, but, um, yeah, having a, a third party recognize my work as something that aligns with a larger mission to, to create, you know, exposure and awareness for our community is, is, it's, it's pretty monumental. Um, and to have, yeah, someone else validating it and looking at it and saying this is actually worthy of being produced performed etc is is a pretty big deal well and having it not be in a way of like oh aren't we edgy we got a (laughs) trans play Mm -hmm. like the one of the season yeah exactly having it be like part of part of a whole and mission driven well i do think it's really we're in an interesting time i think because more and more we're seeing these kind of reading projects happen like, I mean, and, you know, I'm speaking for as a person coming from opera that is like, you know, we've been at this for, we've been doing a lot more journalism now than 10 years ago. So I don't know, entirely know what it was like 10 years ago, but it certainly feels like there's a, there's an insurgent, a resurgence. There's a lot of readings happening. And I'm, I'm curious for y'all, do you feel like that is a, a thing right now that more people are wanting to break open new work and, and take it seriously and, and meaningfully like try it out and, and get and 
get more voices out there? Um, or do you think that that's something that's been, that's been happening? You want me to go? You're, yes, please. Uh, it's, I think it's hard to say. Um, mm-hmm. I got I to Chicago in 2015. Um, Same. Hey. Uh, so. <laughs> cool. 2013, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, and, and since then, I've, I've worked. Same. Say oh, oh my god! <laughs> Such coincidence. Um, I think it's hard to say. Um, the I think the theater community experienced an economic downturn mm-hmm. um, around 2014, 2015. And people have been having to be really creative about the way that they produce work and how much work they produce. And, you know, Chicago has a lot of theater companies for all sorts of reasons. Um, just ask Olivia Lilly over mm-hmm. at Prop Theater. Um, <laughs> but the I think people are... There's, there's a simultaneous desire to really invest in mm. voices that aren't usually heard on stage. Um, and also, like, a lot of economic pressure, right? So people are... are trying to take risks, um, but also make sure that the people that they employ are continue to be employed and they mm. can pay their bills and make sure everyone's taken care of. And, you know, that's a that's a hashtag hot take. No, it's, um, a, it's a super interesting and like note of it's it's uh, I think a lot about and not to you know, I'm sure there are Gen Xers listening. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to shit on Gen Xers when I say what I was... <laughs> but also... But also, like, <laughs> it's a very interesting thing that the people that are that are making right now, that are that are in this position of being in, like, your late 20s, early 30s, right? Like, that are like, I'm heading up a thing. Like, we're all really interested in not just doing something edgy, but that's, that's fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. Like, that fundamentally, like people are are compensated fairly that there's yeah. a structure sure. in which the the way that you had mentioned before the fact that this reading isn't just i mean it's an interesting thing though right because you don't want to it's apples and oranges almost because you don't want to say like that do having uh something like this where it's uh more formal i guess hmm. compared to like that reading the reading series space that you were talking about mm-hmm. which is more like community directly community driven it's an interesting that that is something that i don't entirely have a super logical question about but it's something i think about a lot with that that sure. balance of like because community building and financial stability are different things mm-hmm. I think it's worth saying that uh, it's something that funders are also interested in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, you know, I'm not in the fundraising world, but from what I can see on the outside, it's I think fe- the fun- funders are really interested in things that are pushing boundaries, um, you know, to a certain extent, right? Like mm, f- a marketable extent, a yeah. marketable <laughs> extent, a, a stable right. extent, right? Funders like things that are sustainable um, to a certain degree. Um, and so those folks, those funders, are putting money into new work um, initiatives. I think what I want to emphasize, and I'm going to ride the hot take train, um, (laughs) is that... That's why we exist. (laughs) Lucas and I, like, as writers, as as artists of color, have always been here. I want to put that out there, first and foremost. Um, You know, I, 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 um, I... I did a little Twitter rant about this the other day, so it's hot on my mind. Um, But, um... 
you What's know, that like, Twitter handle? <laughs> uh, there's a plug section at the end. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <great. laughs> no, but, um, there's um, in 2016, the year of Hamilton, um, the Tony Awards, as we're heading into Tony season, marketed itself with Tony so diverse as a hashtag in response to oh, Oscar so white, yeah. which is, um, it's funny. It's just funny. Um, and that year was an incredibly diverse year. And, you know, I absolutely want to celebrate that. The ironic thing is that the year after Hamilton, the color purple um, allegiance were all shows happening on Broadway. 2017 Tony Awards, I believe, had 34 out of its 40 acting nominees as white. Sounds what familiar. happened to Tony So Diverse in 2016? My point is that, you know, we um, were kind of inclined to say that there's this upward trend towards inclusivity and diversity that we are constantly improving and better than yesterday um i i i challenge that by saying there's no trend there are flukes and there are hard-working artists like lucas uh, like myself um like the people who wrote hamilton or or allegiance or color purple who make themselves known that year for that reason and push and work their asses off to make sure that their work makes it onto the stage um and that happened in 2016 and it didn't happen in 2017 and that's not indicative of a trend um if anything i think that says that we need to be more recognized on a more consistent basis right um and that's why i'm appreciative for things like first read um because us artists will always be here, but the people who will pick up the art and give it to someone and put it on stage are not always there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in Chicago specifically, um, you know, this is this is a hotter take, but as, as soon as 2016 rolled around in every single program of every theater you went to for every, you know, one token show that they had that season in the program notes it said in the day and age of trump it is more important than ever to to put on this play today <sighs> and it was like a drinking game like every time you read in the day and age of or that, you know that happened now more than ever too. the mm. the now more than ever program mm -hmm. programming when and it'd be like now more than ever and programming is like a european story told by mostly white people mm -hmm. written by a white person and it's like like, okay, sure, you're talking about European immigration, I guess mm -hmm. it's not the same thing as what's happening. But, like, guess what? If that Now More Than Ever story was told in 2015, we wouldn't be in the 2016 situation. Mm. So it's always, it's not Now More Than Ever, it is, oh, we, we fucked up. <laughs> yeah. We gotta do it now. Like, control Z, let's take it back a step. Well, I wanna, I wanna build more on this because I, I have a kind of tie-in, too, to what we were talking about before. Something that I think is, like, fundamentally very important with um with this kind of producing um is it's something that we talk about a lot which is artistic license and who is able to make the decisions and who is who has like the authority in, mm -hmm. in these spaces I, I find i always find it very interesting and i think that what a lot of people are realizing is that the more artists of color are allowed to kind of hold those reins and, and have because you know a, a, an organization could 
be like, yeah, we're going to put on more plays by artists of color and then produce them and not really talk to people of color in the, mm. they'll cast them. Right. But then not actually talk to them in the like directorial space, like in the, in the actual authoritarian, not authoritarian, but like the um, administrative. administrative, thank you. Right. Like the administrative positions and, and, and making sure to bring the writers into the room about on decision-making and things like that. I'm curious for you, for you both as, as writers mm -hmm. of color, like that, degree of of not just being included and brought into the room but actually um make like being heard on what how you think things should be like that artistic license hmm. like how important is that to you and what do you think the difference between having the artistic license is from not having it all of you looked at me that was <laughs> it was simultaneous yeah. lucas <laughs> i bet you have something to say. Oh, wow. um if i think I, if i understand your question um which i think is a question about power um i think the obvious answer is or what's what has become clear to me as i've worked in theater and worked in in theater administration teams um is that you know power consolidates along existing lines, hmm. right? So if a theater started by an all-white group of people, um, gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, um, and then starts to employ other people, those that power is gonna it's gonna follow the lines that it was mm -hmm. that is founded on. Um, so in terms of like the necessity of having people of color and queer people and um, people who aren't usually in administrative roles um, in those roles, I think that's critically important because that's how you make change. That's how change happens. And that's how you shift, not just the, the visible features of an organization or uh, an ensemble, but you really shift the, the foundational mission aspects of, of, of art making, right. Of arts administration, right. If you get those people into, into positions of power, then you're going those, the, those voices are going to have, um, more credence. I don't know if things will change because people mm -hmm. of color fuck up all the time too. And so do queer people. And it's just, you know, identity does not, uh, exempt you from uh, mm. the, the uh, misuse, misuse yeah. or abuse of power. Um, so I think I'm answering your question. <laughs> it's, I, I really appreciate it. It's always, it's a question I continue to ask for as a, like as a white person, just because from that end, it's like more and more, whenever I have, there are like other white people listening, it's important for me to be like, like, let's, let's do let Like, let's not, let's, cause when it's, especially when it's like organizations, like you say, that are founded in like, like a group of white folks coming together and then having that level of like, oh, uh, we should program something that's more inclusive. And it's like, you can't just like, the, it doesn't stop. It doesn't end there. Mm -hmm. And, I, but so I, it's something that I, that I, that idea of like making sure that artistic license and, and the decision-making process is considered to the utmost and like building that comfortability and things like that. <clears throat> it's just something that I, that I know I personally like want to hear more conversations about. And I, yeah. I think it's really important. Um, I mean, as a, as an actor, um, shifting, shifting gears from actor to writer at the time being, but as, as an actor, um, I had to say no to a production for the first time in my career. Um, 
because I did not have faith that the production would portray its Asian characters well. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a production of Anything Goes, which um, I'm I'm not the most familiar with, but I researched that uh, the characters John and Luke that I was being asked to audition for were originally called Ching and Ling in the original draft, and that white characters take their clothes and put on a yellow face wedding and, and stuff like that. Um, which is just a whole bag of cats, and not the nice kind of cats that we love. Um, and, um, you know, as I was drafting my response, um, saying, no, I'm not sure this is this is right for me, I considered the fact that at this juncture, I could, I could have instead say, oh, how do you think you're going to handle these sort of controversial roles? Can we maybe ta- have a conversation about that? Um, Will I be given a little bit more agency in the room to determine how these roles are portrayed? Things like that. I didn't have the emotional energy to do that. Um, so I, I threw that to the wind and I said, no, thank you. Um, and, and I think your question sort of asks with regards to these positions of power. Um, I think in our industry that lies very much along these like actor versus administrator versus director kind of lines as well. Right. Um, where sometimes the actors feel like they have less agency or if they need to speak up about something, then it's a whole process and they suddenly have to take on another job that should have always been a job that was a part of the administration, mm-hmm. right? Because I, as an actor, could have asked, uh, well, how, how are we going to deal with these roles? But really what they should be asking themselves is, why don't we have someone in the administration that was ready to tackle that conversation in the first place? Why don't we have someone in the administration that wasn't going to pick a show with historically racist characters in it? Um, and you keep climbing this ladder of like, where was the sound and informed voice absent, right? Well, and it, like, the higher up you go and the more you think about this thing, it really demonstrates, like, how little input these people in positions of power are getting from Mm. anyone who has a different experience from them. Because if they had, if they had discussed the programming of this show with a, even a, in passing a single Asian person Mm -hmm. who has any familiarity with this show, they would have said, oh, like, you know about... Ching and Ling. You know about (laughs) Ching and Ling, right? Like, and, like, it it just baffles me the lack of, like, uh, the arrogance, I guess, Mm -hmm. of, like, oh, well, we can, I'm sure we can figure it out. Or it's either arrogance or apathy. Well, it's also really interesting... The the where the because this is like a, a theme that we've in like three hundred episodes we've we bring up the idea of like artistic license when it comes to this kind of production but it's also like very hand in hand with to exactly what you're saying like the the uh, burden of education hmm. like it is yeah. like for people people that are oppressed by a certain um, part of their like by a structural problem like being in a part of a production with an all white administration, like that burden of education is a heavy one. And it's, it's, but it's why I am always so thankful to see um, projects like this, where the foundation is not that where it's where new works can be born in a Mm -hmm. space that is free of, 
because it's it's not taking an old work that was written by someone that is offensive because it was written that way. Mm-hmm. It's like a work that can just be organically interesting in storytelling and just actually telling people's perspective and not having to do like the emotional labor of being like, well, I guess let's try and figure out how to make <laughs> Chain Ling not offensive. Right. Like, I think that's, I, I, I wonder why that isn't seen in heavily funded production outlets. Yeah. As a playwright, um, I'm refocusing where I'm putting that emotional labor, that burden of education, right? Because mm. I, I, I don't, I don't have the answer to your question about why that's not being, why that's not being seen or addressed at this moment. But my solution is I'm going to, instead of re-educating these sort of already faulty, broken, um, requests um from these institutions of power i am using my writing as an uh, as a source of education right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that's the way that i find it most productive um yeah that's well and also providing alternatives for people for for people programming who are saying like oh but there's just nothing out there Uh, it's like well take a look at the catalog of plays i've written that check Mm -hmm. all of the boxes that you're looking for and then tell me that there's nothing out there absolutely well we should let's um unless sorry i don't want to cut everybody off i want to transition to actually talking about your plays yeah i was just gonna say yeah yeah we were Um, segueing (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah how what how in what stage of development were these plays when they were picked up is that maybe the right way to put it um submitted yeah, chosen. Yeah, yeah i don't know why i always yeah. turn to the left that's why I keep so I keep i'm turning to the left too lucas are you turning to the left uh, i'm just sort of you're just yeah, not even here to, yeah. to, yeah. yeah. to be received <laughs> Um, so my play, um, I had written a full length draft and I had had a, a sort of semi-public reading with El Semiero. And so it was, I, it had, it had like, I had gone through it one time and I think picking it up again for this one, it was sort of like, all right, so it's, it got up and sat back down. Mm. And so it's, it's ready to be, to stand up again. Um, and so I went through it another time and then another time, and I'm currently still writing it. <laughs> I have to go home and finish some rewrites after this. <laughs> um, yeah. It's never had a, it's never had movement, and I'm really excited about my director, Eros Sung and Madil. Um, <laughs> and they're bringing a lot of movement energy to it, and I'm so excited to see it in a different light and from a different artistic perspective. What stage of development was yours in? Um... So I had written my play Prefer Not to Answer or Other as a part of the New Colonies Writers Room. So it was more or less a complete first draft by the end of that. I think it was a 10-week session, something to that effect. Um, the play had the play was something that, um, like, quemado, that I just kind of put down for a long time. I started writing it in, I think, November of 2017. Um, and I, it just... Um, it wasn't my project for a while. It just didn't feel like the thing I needed to be doing. Um, until I was doing the writer's room, I, I started a different play and 
prefer not to answer was the one that just kept returning to my head of like i need to finish that one like that's the story that i want to tell right now um so i submitted a more or less complete first draft to um to the syndicate and uh it has it has yet to be read as the name first read would lead you to believe um so i'm i'm kind of using this in in that way i'm more or less not touching it up until until after the reading is done because i want to hear what parts work what parts don't work especially where my dialogue gets super like heavy and block texty yeah um and that's kind of what i'm what i'm using this for so that i can hear it read out loud for the first time by actors i couldn't be more excited about i'm so excited about my cast and um you know, sort of get a sense of like, does this actually sound like real people talking about real important things in a real important way? Mm-hmm. So now, does this does this festival? Because um, you mentioned that yours was incorporating some. Um, as I'm saying, yours. I'm looking at Lucas. Lucas, you said that your <laughs> <laughs> podcast called um, that your play was involving some movement, mm-hmm. and yours is is yours, uh, Gavin, strictly a reading. Yeah, I, well, actually, we our first rehearsal's tomorrow, so we'll find out. Oh, my gosh! <laughs> yeah. I'm excited! <laughs> um, so, does it... Oh, well, then you don't know. I cool. don't. All right. <laughs> well, then, never mind. So, um, what are your plays about? I... Yes, I will answer that question. Okay, great. Um, could we also read the descriptions for June and Theo's play? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, yeah. I would love that. Great. Oh, great. Great. Let's, I'm going to do that right now. Is that okay? Yeah, okay. for sure. Okay, great. So, I love uh, that, that June, June Theo's play, um, Ashana, a native play, which will be playing Fridays, uh, June 14th at 7.30 p.m. at the Martin. Um, Ashana, a native play by June Thiel. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Relationships are important in any culture, and in most Native American culture, relationships are everything. This is the case for Ashana, a modern Native scrimshaw artist making her way through life in an urban setting. Until something unimaginable happens, her relationships with her family and chosen family were solid pillars. And then uh, Theo's play, uh, Dig, uh, will be on Sunday, June 16th at 5pm. Dig by Theo Germain. Uh, Nick and Zuli want answers and retribution. On the night before their deceased lover's apartment gets turned over for new tenants, the two trespass, trying to solve the mystery of how their partner died. (laughs) Cool. Great. Um, You're so on top of things. If you weren't here, this would just be like a ramble. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Do you want to go first? Oh, okay. I I will. Um, to appease the one that's super on top of things. <laughs> um, anyways, um, prefer not to answer or other is a play in two acts. Um, our main character Florence is applying for colleges. It's a scary, tumultuous, horrible time for any high schooler, mm-hmm. uh, especially for me. It was. Um, what she is running into is this problem of presenting her true self through these college applications because she is living in the complicated closet of pretending to be her parents son still Mm -hmm. um her parents know her as their son daniel um and florence is trying to reconcile this life in this um immigrant parent household where she feels an obligation to be a responsible 
dutiful and good son versus her trying to really come into her own in her out life that she's trying to create for herself in college. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm excited for yours. Well, and I, I want to, this, I know it, the, the follow-up question I'm going to ask you too after Lucas, after you tell it, but I'm curious for you, like, do you remember when it, when it was a blank page? Hmm. Like what you wanted to say? There's an interesting answer to that, but I will let Lucas go and talk about your play. Uh, so Quemado is a play about a group of queer, uh, family and chosen family and friends and lovers who are cleaning out the house of a uh, dear um, now passed on relative um and as they're cleaning out her house they sort of discover that she possibly was queer as well and didn't mm. tell them and they're sort of dealing with the grief not only of her loss but also of this the the emotional impact of figuring out or maybe not figuring out or being made aware of this part of this person's life that was so dear to them and they were so close to um, that they just weren't invited into uh, and they have to sort of decide what to do together. My eye is twitching. I'm so excited. I don't know if the mic picked up my gas, my little gay gas. Lucas just kept dropping more details. Oh my gosh! Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, June 12th for all the listeners that want to see that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I would love to hear your responses to the Dan- the question that Daniel asked. Like, what what did you want to communicate on that blank page? My play, Prefer Not to Answer, other actually started as uh, the short play that I wrote in college. And um, and while, at the time, I just wanted it to kind of be about food. Um, the uh, This short play was centered around a dinner, and I had the actors prepare actual food and serve it to the audience as it was yes. happening. And oh. the place we did, the performance was super small, so the whole room smelled like curry. It was great. Oh. Um, Amazing. So I, I mean, so prefer not to answer other as it exists now was never a blank page because it always had that short play about a uh, gay son coming out to his mom as as the sort of original nugget. Um, and then, you know, I sort of, I looked at that. I looked at my own truth and my own story and I was like, well, this isn't, this isn't everything that I want to say. I have all these themes about um you know queerness the closet uh the disparity between um you know first and second generation immigrants um and that sort of not artificial but um the disconnect between generations that we build up more in our heads than are actually there on the table and how that can become real and i was like well this 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 story needs a little bit more so on the blank page what i that was really what I wanted to get at this sort of um, this wall that I feel a lot of first generation kids put up where they're like, well, there's intrinsically this thing that my parents will not understand about my life. Mm-hmm. And today in 2016, I feel like that often lies along the law lo- that lies along the line of queerness. My mm-hmm. parents coming from another country don't get this, this idea of queerness when uh, I think a lot of, 
<laughs> our cultures have our our own ideas of queerness and our own mm. like very historical perceptions of it but we're so detached and we exist so much here in our own western centric viewpoint that we neglect all that and create these artificial barriers so that's that's the story that i wanted to tell also colonialism oh wow oh wow yeah mm-hmm. uh, so i um i was very um very lucky and grateful to be part of a playwriting workshop done in the style of maria irene fornes um my dear teacher of my teachers um here in Chicago um, and I was sort of like also the workshop assistant on that so I was helping uh, to bring playwrights to Chicago for this um, playwriting workshop that, which was hosted by Anne Garcia Romero and Migdalio Cruz um, both of whom are incredible playwrights um, and dear mentors of mine um, and so I wrote a scene in that workshop um, about a couple who were just like so hot and the air conditioner wasn't working um, <laughs> and they couldn't leave and they didn't want to stay and so when it was a blank page i was trying to figure i was trying to figure because because um maria irene fornes's uh playwriting method is really um from the subconscious is really emotional and has to do with a lot of memory work and i was on like when i started writing this in that workshop it was about you know what do what do people say when there's it's too hot for it to be like smash bang throw a chair yell at each other Hmm. um but they also like can't escape and they want desperately to be somewhere else to feel something else and it's just too hot for them to be able to do that and that's what it was like when i wrote it (laughs) on the first time oh what a what a feeling that is (laughs) (laughs) no like wow i this is such a cool project. So you mentioned that you know what your cast, who is, who your cast is. Um, how was that process? Did you have any influence over who was cast? Or was it the directors that took, that took charge once you handed the script over? Great. Uh, so the, the amazing and wonderful thing about the syndicate, um, and they, they're mostly like producing um and so in terms of like artistic things they're like we'll help you find a director if you need one if you have one in mind great bring them on we'll pay them and it's just they're amazing they're so amazing that's so cool (laughs) it's been so accommodating i can't even begin to describe that's amazing yeah and they're sort of like if if we can help and you want our help we're here to help Mm. um and so i don't i don't know um but I, i i knew that i wanted um i had a director in mind and they couldn't do it and so i approached um the next person that i really wanted that i think would be that i thought would be a great fit for the show and that was eros um and then eros was like great all those people that were in the were in the first time like all amazing i love them we're getting a whole new cast (laughs) (laughs) and they brought in a lot of people that i had never heard of a lot of uh queer people of color young queer people of color and i'm really excited about that and it was really collaborative between me and Eros. And the syndicate was like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> cool. What was your experience? I mean, we're so lucky that, like, the Chicago community is, like, so connected, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I just put up a thing on Facebook because I realized I was writing a play about a high school trans girl who's also Asian, and I was like, "That's a that's going to be a demographic that I'm going to have to find." Yeah. Um, I put up that feeler on Facebook, and uh, a friend of mine, James Fleming, was just like, "Hey, uh, this person sounds like they'd be a good fit." Um, and I was able to find an amazing actress in Angelica Grace. Um, she is fantastic. She does drag around Chicago and is also a formidable actress. So that was perfect. Not to mention age appropriate. Like 19 playing a 17, 18 year old. When does that ever happen? Oh my wow. God. I think she might be 20 now, but still like oh, well, there serendipity. There, there it goes. Ruined. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then, um, so the syndicate was kind enough to find a director for me where it you know, I was I was like a flounder. I just had no idea who to ask, what to look for. Um, and they found uh, JD Cottle. I hope I'm pronouncing their last Ooh. name correctly. Um, who I had just seen their work, um, Southern Comfort at Pride Film and Plays. Oh, and, cool! Uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, and I thought that they would be a great fit because Southern Comfort, I think, had some very difficult uh, conversations that you know people members of the trans community have with one another mm. um disagreements about policing our own bodies um and that was sort of something that was happening in my play between two characters one who's a bit more privileged in his transness and one who is not um and uh so i was excited as all heck to have jd on board um jd meanwhile was like i think one of my actors from southern comfort uh might be a good fit for this role and sure enough sam came on board um sam who i adored his performance in southern comfort so i was like yes this is absolutely perfect i reached out to mia park who was uh she organized a bunch of uh play reading series specifically for specifically for asian playwrights over the past year and a half now and she had a name of actors for asian actors to play the parents and then was like hey I'm also an Asian actor and I'm interested in doing this. So it all just came together organically with with a lot of help, but help that was readily given from people within arm's reach. So it was amazing. So are you acting in this then? I am not. No. Oh, okay. Me personally, no. Um, I was going to say, like, that, that would be, like, such a trip. But that you. was, that was so, <laughs> like, I, I'm not doing it for, for this because I think it's very important for me to, to just sit and digest yeah. it. Um, but when I was writing this, I was definitely pulling a Lin-Manuel Miranda. Where I was like, there's no, I'm going to write my own role, actually. Um, so maybe sometime in the future if if I want to do, if that's something I ever feel like I want to do or need to do that's on the table but no not no no oh my no. gosh <laughs> <laughs> um so looking past oh geez so okay? um so looking past the play festival where do you see your next steps what do you see your next steps being with these plays i know horrifying i'm so sorry <laughs> graduation question what are you doing after what are you applying yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do with your life <laughs> why, why are you in grad school <laughs> like thanks oh, mom no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, i i'm i was lucky enough that because I wrote this as a part of the writer's room with the new colony that they're also interested in putting it up as a reading. Oh, so cool. two weeks after the syndicate's reading, I have another reading of it. So basically I, I get to hear it and then I have two weeks to kick myself in the ass and rewrite it until it's slightly better. Right. And then I get to hear it read again. Um, so that's, that's lucky. And from there I, I have zero idea. Um, my personal hope is that, 
um, more importantly than, you know, I, 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 more importantly, such a weird phrase, it is of utmost importance to me that this is a show that helps uh, trans teens, especially Asian trans teens, feel seen and like their stories matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, I want this to be a play that reaches the Asian American community so that they start to begin having conversations about transness, about being queer, um, and start tearing down those walls that might, you know, lead to apprehension about accepting queerness. So, cool. That's my hope. How about you? Oh, I don't know. I, <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'm sort of constantly reevaluating my relationship to theater that's made in the United States, especially um, mainstream regional theater, which is what I most have the most experience in. Um, so I think if I find a theater company that I really trust, um, I'll submit it to them. Um, but if not, then I mean, sky. I mean, I have I have no idea, right? Yeah. Like, if someone wants to do it and they have the money to do it, and I trust them, then like, however it happens or wherever it happens, yeah, that'd be great. I would love that. But you know, it's also okay if it if it just sits on my computer or with some or with anyone who wants a copy. That's okay with me too. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> that was such like the perfect embodiment of embodiment of like theater is ephemeral it will happen <laughs> and then it will dissipate into the air along with your memories when you turn to dust you oh, know? Well. Like, but, uh, but that yeah so go see it in case yeah. nothing you know yeah. goes away but it's also i think it's an interesting thing of like for a reading do you think that that mindset is helpful or hurt both specifically the like not thinking about it post you know what i mean Mm. i um i think uh, the beautiful thing about first read and even it's like a very broad name is that we can all go into this first read with whatever Mm -hmm. we need out of it right because first read to me means um this is the first time i get to hear it out loud which means i get to hear what works doesn't work and then i get to go back in with a scalpel and, and try and fix it first read to someone else might mean like oh i get to hear it read and then I can put it away, and I'm happy with that, you know. Um, so yeah, um, I think uh, as long as the playwrights have their own goals set in their heads, right, mm-hmm. before going into it. Absolutely, and it depends, right? The, like like Gavin said, there the first read is really flexible, and is really focused on what the playwright is interested in. There are other reading series that are focused on: is this something we're going to do as a theater mm-hmm. company? We're putting this in front of an audience. To see whether or not they like it, to to gauge whether or not it's something that we are interested in putting more money into, right? And I don't, I'm not sure that that's what's happening with first read. Um, so I think it's going to be. I mean, it just depends, right? And so in terms of like having a goal in mind, like if that's, I think that's just a matter of circumstance. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we have a few minutes left. So um, the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes it's very obvious, like letting uh, letting folks know where an upcoming reading is happening and when it's happening and how they can get there and where they can find out more information, <laughs> if that were a thing. Um, otherwise, we love hearing shout-outs to the folks that are doing dope work or any media that you're personally consuming, self-care or otherwise, music, movies, TV shows, things like that. Mm-hmm. 
well, we we mentioned my Twitter earlier. What's <laughs> 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 your handle? Um, it is at the Derriere Fair. Um, oh. It's a pun and it rhymes. <laughs> it's the butt parade. T h e d e r r i e r e fair, like a county fair. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of rants, and um, it's fifty percent theater, fifty percent. Um, Transformers, which is my secret passion. Those old robots Aww. in disguise. Those so stinky good. boys. Actually, or the media I'm consuming. Um, surprisingly enough, this is going to be like a, a knowledge bomb. I I hope, but Transformers comics recently have introduced canonically gay and trans characters in non-tokenizing in very informed ways with consultants that are trans and from the queer community. Oh, that's so cool. They're robots. So say, fuck no, it's a uh, heteronormativity and normal gender conventions. They're robots. They're like alien robots, Yeah, so the writers cued into this is like, they have no fucking idea what gender is. They turn into cars. So so the the comics have had like poly couples and gay couples couples and and trans characters and of all different coming out realizations this mm. and that's and it's been it's been colorful and beautiful so, give me those gay robots all day gay robots all day more than meets the oh. eye is the name of that series so, oh cool yeah <laughs> Ooh, what a plug oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Lucas? So. <laughs> oh, yeah, first read. Uh, the first read. Oh, the first read. No, no. I had, no, I had no idea. I learned so much in that minute. Holy cow. Um, I I want to shout out. There's so much. My All of my brain just, like, rushed to the front of my forehead because <laughs> it was, like, all clamoring together. Um, I want to give a special shout out to the Illinois Caucus of Adolescent Health. Um, they have been working with um, reproductive rights organizations all across Illinois to get the Reproductive Health Act mm. passed. It is going to Governor Pritzker. Um, I hope that he signs it. I'm sure that he will. Um, also, we can. I would like to shout out their ongoing campaign uh, to repeal the Parental Notification Act, which requires um, people under under the legal age to it requires doctors to inform the parent the legal guardian or parent of a person under the legal age seeking an abortion which is a very it's a it's a law that endangers young people Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways and um let's stop that (laughs) so i'm going to shout out the illinois caucus of adults and health and the amazing people at uh for youth inquiry which is their performing arts um because they're doing amazing work and i love them plugs like both of you i'm so happy you're here (laughs) wow um and where can people get tickets to go see yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right just quit real quick what are we here for Yeah. yeah um it's, it, I think there's an Eventbrite page, except it is like free general admission oh, and cool. the Eventbrite is pay what you can for reserve seating, I believe. Yes. Oh, yes. Great. And all of the money goes directly to the artists. Yes, yeah. that's us. Um, <laughs> uh, so if you, if it's, we are the syndicate.com and it's their first read, first read page and they will have a link to their Eventbrite there and the schedule. Um, does that answer cool. your question? Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Perfect. Lucas's play is June twelfth. Uh, June's is June fourteenth. Mine is the fifteenth. Theo's is the sixteenth. Yep. All at the Martin twenty five fifteen West North Avenue. Oh my god! I've been saying that for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Out here doing it to him. Oh my gosh! Well, 
Thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. Thank but you both so much yeah. for being here. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, if you want to keep up with what we're up to, there are so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G.com. Otherwise, you can find us on social media on Facebook. We have a Facebook page called Scopy Magazine. We also have a Facebook group that we love to adore called Sounding Board, where we talk about local arts, local politics, and astrology memes. Otherwise, you can find us at Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Scopy Mag, spelled the same way as the website, S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And you can find the podcast, the one you're listening to right now in most podcast places, including Google Play, iTunes Podcasts, and Radio Public under Scopy Radio. And I'm here, as always, to talk about the importance of subscribing. If you head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our subscribe page, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to sign up for email blasts. This is huge because even though we post across social media platforms, Facebook buries our content. So if you want to see 100% of what we're doing and not just 30% of it, you should sign up for those email blasts. The second thing you can do is become a member. For as little as $2 a month, you can help us keep our content free and pay our artists. So if you're in a position to do so, there are some cool incentives associated with it. So give it some thought. Also, we have merch for sale. If you had to scopymag.com slash store, you can buy your new favorite shirt. And that is a promise. Um, also, if you are a business an, or an entity or just have something fun to say and want to advertise with us, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So give a little give a lot and if you can't give then listen participate and share cool thanks again so much for listening go out and make something yep <laughs>